0: Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. This is Why Our Dads. We should say, I guess, that Why Our Dads is a show in which we talk about what it's like to be the grown children of dads by watching movies. <laughs> For any listeners who are interested, we have a Patreon, which you're more than welcome to support and get some bonus episodes, uh, ideally weekly when we're able to do so. If you're not able to do that, we're just glad you're here listening and uh, learning about a child's burning desire to own a firearm.
1: Yeah. And this is our month of Christmas movies, which I'm very happy that you were willing to do. We never even had a conversation about this. We were just like, and obviously we're going to do a month solid of Christmas movies. Because I'm not a Christmasist, but I'm a Christmas
0: moviesist. I'm not a Christmasist. Well, that's not true. I kind of am a Christmasist. I don't think I'm like consciously a Christmasist. And there are some places in times you and i are very alike in a lot of ways and we're also very different in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and we also share an april 22nd Taurus birthday i feel like there are a lot of times when we are just unsaid the same exact person and agreeing on a a christmas month was one of those places
1: (laughs) yeah there were just we never had a conversation about it until right now it's just like yeah What else would we be doing?
0: That's just what we're doing. So we are talking with Mara Wilson today about a Christmas story.
1: And also the second of the movies that tend to be on TV just like 24 hours a day and that you can kind of tune in in the middle of something and watch a little bit of and have a good time. Yes. Because we talked about how Christmas vacation functions that way. Or maybe we didn't talk about it, but we definitely thought about it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we did talk about it and it's it's actually uh, helping come to a unified theory of what kind of movie was able to exist on cable television all the time yeah ah i mean one of them is that it's just a suspense movie that was that was on all the time and another is is movies and people people recommend elf a lot and elf has a little bit more of a story structure than a lot of these holiday movies
1: elf is complicated for me because i really want to fuck james Khan. Oh, of course. And Mary Steen
0: Bergen. Mark Marin just interviewed James con You have an hour with James Khan if you want.
1: Yeah. So for me, it's like I do like the story of Elf, but I also feel perhaps more significantly that it's like Will Ferrell trying to d- distract me from two breathtakingly sexy, mature adults. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so the way that i think elf fits into this theory that these other movies fit into is while it does have more of a structured plot it's just a series of bits
1: yeah that is elf huh yeah
0: the elf is a series of bits this uh, christmas story really is a series of vignettes and christmas vacation until it kind of squeezes a plot together at the end uh is is really just like a series of scenes that are fun to watch and you don't really have to watch it from start to finish if you don't want to
1: And this actually allows us to engage with Die Hard, which is nice because we didn't want to bother watching and talking about Die Hard because we had to make a choice between Die Hard and Batman Returns. And obviously it's more fun to be like, Batman Returns is a Christmas movie because people don't even really bother to think about that. Whereas people love to go, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And you're like, okay, yeah, it is. But I was trying to do Christmas crafts last year and put on Die Hard and I was like addressing all these envelopes. And you can't watch it when you're crafting. And I do think that that's, I'm not a big fan of like is or isn't a Christmas movie. I think Christmas movie is a big tent, but, I think that there is some kind of Venn diagram of Christmas moviness and the ability to like not really be looking at it and still watching it is one of the things. And I think that Vacation and, and A Christmas Story both do
0: that too. You know, I, I had posted about watching Night of the Hunter the other day, and someone said that is a Christmas movie because they celebrate Christmas in it. But I really appreciate mm. your nuanced. Caveat about what could be a Christmas movie because you really have to watch Night of the Hunter from start to finish. (laughs) You know, like you really have to pay attention in order to get to Christmas. And all these other movies just present to you some scenarios that are nestled into Christmas and it makes you feel like you're in the place.
1: Yeah. Well, certainly this movie does. And I think that the way we talk about it is also the sort of we're like inhabiting this little christmas world which i think is also the way this movie tends to get watched by people tuning in you know i remember this movie being on tbs 24 hours a day i don't know if that still happens but it was just like you would tune in you would watch a little bit you would flip around you would have some kind of an altercation (laughs) You would watch a little more of it in a different airing, um, and just by the same token, Goodfellas is a great Christmas movie this way because you can just be wandering in and out, trimming trees, putting meat thermometers and things, and uh, you just you're like, oh, it's Lufthansa. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's the Christmas part.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the Christmas part. <laughs> and then it's the, which segues perfectly into the, that was all the money we had Karen part, which is also, you know, I like that. <laughs>
0: so okay so again so reintroducing this show that we're about to talk about we talked with Mara Wilson as I said to you off off mic earlier this was a situation in which I think we had three adults in one conversation who were just excited to talk to other excited people yes and it was enthusiastic pandemonium (laughs) tell us about this movie like what is it about who is it about what are the family dynamics Uh, bring us bring us to Ralphie
1: a Christmas story is about Ralphie and his brother Randy and the Christmas season during which Ralphie conceives an intense desire for a red rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle (laughs) according to Wikipedia (laughs) (laughs) and it is, I mean, the frame of the story is that it is about his sort of fervent and fantasy-filled attempts to convince his parents or Santa or someone to give him this present, and then how in the end he receives it and everyone has a nice Christmas. But I feel like that story is an excuse to just watch this family of a mother and a father and two little boys in the winter and at Christmas time and have confrontation with a bully and writing a theme and sticking your tongue on something frozen and, you know, just, I mean, it's just like many movies about kids. I feel like the plot is kind of an excuse to hold together these moments of childhood.
0: Yes. And it's it's the ultimate nostalgia piece about a very particular vision of America or what of post war America. Immediate post we talk about we try to decipher this a bit in the episode, but
1: Or is this during the war? I already can't remember what we determined.
0: It's maybe immediate pre-war, maybe immediate post-war.
1: This never time, slightly out of history, but very clearly mid century American
0: Christmas. Yeah, it's Norman Rockwell come to life with a little seediness in that the boy says fuck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's what they were hinting at. Subtext.
0: This is a lot of people's dad's favorite movie from Christmas time. I think it's one, it's actually one or the other. I think it, depending on the age, it can be a Christmas story or a Christmas vacation. I think it is the favorite movie of Silent Generation in some older boomer dads. I guess, what is the American Christmas experience of someone who was not raised in the States? And I'm talking very specifically about your dad.
1: So he was born in New Zealand and then lived in Australia in young adulthood, where he remembers, I think, thinking of Christmas as, like, kind of a weird holiday because (laughs) it is very Victorian in its trappings, and I think that was how he encountered it, and yet it's, like, one million degrees down there at the time. So I think he just kind of thought it was stupid, which I don't think is an unreasonable conclusion, (laughs) given the way he describes being a foreman in a factory where one year they had like a Christmas lunch for everybody and it was like roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. And it's like, again, it's, it's, it's very hot. No one wants to be sitting down (laughs) and having like heavy, hot, bland English food as if it's snowing out and they're all going to go in a sleigh and they need to pack in the calories so they don't freeze to death. I guess can't think of Christmas media that he enjoyed. There has there has to be something I'm forgetting. But one thing that is funny and sad to me is that he hates children in media. He hates media about American children. And so if if something like Home Alone would be on, he would guarantee just be complaining about how horrible and loud American children are. Which obviously, as a kid, I was like, I'm that thing like I am an American child so
0: (laughs) you're talking about me
1: yeah so yeah Christmas movies are full of children full of American children yeah he just didn't like those
0: my father loved this movie I think because he saw in Ralphie and the old man his relationship with his father and Based on his love for this movie, I can kind of understand what purpose it's serving. Already memories of Christmas in your childhood, if you had any fond memories of Christmas at all, are very warm, maybe actually much warmer than they actually were. And <laughs> this does that for Christmas, it does it for father-son or father-family relationships, and it does it for the middle of the American century.
1: And the middle of the American continent.
0: Yes, yes. This is a cubed, if not more compounded uh, nostalgia piece. And if you don't like American kids or think Christmas is weird, this is not the movie for you, Sarah's dad.
1: (laughs) I love how literally... The iconic moment of the iconic American kid Christmas movie, Home Alone, is a kid just screaming. (laughs) I don't think he was wrong about the content. I think he was just wrong about one's ability to tolerate it. It's like, you know what? Kids are loud. Got over it.
0: Adults are pretty fucking loud, too. As far as our dads that we've covered in the show go... Where do you think the old man, which is I think the only way he's referred to in the show, which just kind of, you know, makes him a caricature a lot of people can just project their own dads onto in one way or another. Where do you think the old man fits in?
1: Uh, Chaotic neutral. (laughs) He is. He is. He is. Tell us more. Um, I mean, I feel like this is... We have been talking in our conversation with Sovereign Sire on... Christmas Vacation about Chevy Chase as the sort of empty turkey of, <laughs> of mid-century dad where like he really cuts a dapper figure. He has this kind of a Don Draper vibe and yet he's a total goof and can't do anything and can't control his emotions nearly well enough to impersonate someone else. Because I feel like when we think of the mid-century man, we think of a time when Men didn't seek out therapy or, or need medication. They just drank themselves to death when they were 50 years old and beat their children horribly. And everyone thought it was fine, you know? And there's just, I think the iconic dream of mid-century American masculinity is like, we fell in love with the, the sort of, the gleaming side effects of the poison, like how, you know, the girls who would paint... Glow in the dark clock faces and things like that would paint their teeth with radium so that they had glowing smiles. And then, of course, (laughs) their skeletons all crumbled to dust. I think that the figure of the dad in that beautiful mid century aesthetic is like the glow of the radium because that beautiful facade was (laughs) there, I think, partly because we had to create this image of masculinity where, you know, no, I don't need help. I'm self sufficient. I can support everyone, I can handle myself, I can go to war and kill 50 Nazis and never need to talk about it (laughs) ever. We act like that was a, a person who existed, the person who could do that. And it's like, no, we just had men who were forced to claim they could do that and just became profoundly traumatized by those expectations. And I think one of the ways they, like... Sort of puffed themselves out and made themselves look capable of more than they were, with with beautiful clothing and great shoulders. And so I feel as if this is this is a mid-century dad who definitely he looks like a dad of yore. You know, he looks like an old-time dad, but he's 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 a goof. He's a lovable goof. He's very intimidating and mysterious and we are seeing him from the point of view of a little kid for whom there are adults. And it seems like he is the adultest of the adults. And yet he comes through in the end and doesn't uh, need to be held together by the people around him. Like Chevy Chase. I realize it's unfair to judge everyone against Clark Griswold, but we did
0: Clark first. So sorry. Well, it's, it's. I mean, these are the same movie in a lot of ways. Mm. They don't paint the same picture, obviously, but they they follow the same structure. They have the same cultural role.
1: They're even both in the Chicago area. Yeah.
0: I mean, they, they, these movies are mirrors of each other. It's interesting that they came out within you know six years of each other because they're representing two entirely different areas. If Christmas Vacation is about Clark looking fondly back at his dad, this movie is about Clark's dad as a kid and his dad. Hmm. If my dad saw in this movie his dad and the old man. I think about the things, the few things that I know about my grandfather and his experience was a little different. It was an, it was an immigrant experience. He and my grandmother came from Scotland during the depression in particular. I know for a fact that they ate, uh, uh you know, peanut butter off of wax paper so their kids could eat solid food for at least a year, you know? And so, and you expect people to be tough about that and just think about how we're fearing, in this year alone and all the amenities we have, but it's still a psychologically fierce year that is going to sit with us for the rest of our lives.
1: I was talking to someone yesterday about how we are going to be the way some of us remember having having grandparents, having parents, you know, relatives who survived something like the Great Depression and were weird about it, you know, because I just remember my grandparents you know being very weird about banks they just wanted their money in cash and my parents as I was growing up being like well you know the depression and like we're gonna be like that and honestly I feel a sense of kinship with humans throughout history that we're not living in what the 90s I think made adults think that the kids who were growing up in that time would mature into which is like people who live in this ahistorical bubble of prosperity that has very little to do with the human condition it's like nope we have been brought swiftly back to the ground we are going to have weird quirks for the rest of our lives of some kind or another just like our grandparents did because you know history is cyclical and i i find that reassuring you know that we didn't break free from the way humans are.
0: Yeah, there I mean there's a there's a very strong chance many of us are going to be weird about hugging and we will wash our hands incessantly and strangely and we'll always be waiting for the other shoe to, to drop. Oh yeah. Looking at the old man, I put him in the context of knowing those things about about my grandparents and it makes some of the things that kind of seem absurd like his appreciation for this winning the leg lamp in how spectacular that must have been in a particular context of living a reduced material existence for a lot of this strange time at the beginning of the century having to kind of be quiet to project some sense of like you having your shit together as a man and then the very very sweet moment we get at the end when it becomes clear that he has listened to his son and provides for his son this gift that his son really wanted and obviously there are some shenanigans that ensue as a result ensue as a result but he wanted to give his son this experience that he desperately wanted and that's so sweet and it's a sweetness we don't necessarily Mm
1: -hmm.
0: get a hint of until it happens
1: yeah and and also that this movie is so much about the anxiety of wanting something so badly and just being feeling unable to communicate to the adults in your life, like the depth and the seriousness of your need for this toy, which to me feels extremely true Mm. to that experience. You know, that I, I really, it bothers me when we like mock, you know, the way children need a toy or something like that. Cause it's like, I realize that it seems silly. And like, especially if the kid is getting tons of different toys and tiring of them quickly, then like that sucks, but that's also a parental choice. And, like, when you're a child, like, you do just hunger after objects in a a really intense way, and you have no power to acquire them. Like, that's something that adults really can't get back to, I think. And so just, yeah, the fact that it kind of takes this childhood... Drama so seriously, and then into it comes this magical dad who, at times, seemed like the one least likely to perceive the seriousness of the situation, but it turns out really did. Excellent.
0: Well, let's uh let's talk to Mara Wilson about a Christmas story.
2: Jingle bells, jingle all the way, oh, what fun! It is to ride.
3: Soap and You stop playing with your food, or I'll give you something to cry about.
2: Oh... Fudge.
3: Only I didn't say fudge.
2: Ah, there it is. The holy grail of Christmas gifts. The Red Rider 200-shot
0: range model air rifle.
1: Now it was serious. A double
2: dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally, the coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple really dog dare. Uh, fragile. It must be Italian. Oh my god, I shot my oh, eye, out. eye out! You'll shoot your You're eye out, Kid. You'll shoot your eye out.
1: Alex
0: Sarah We're watching A Christmas Story. We are, like all of America in the mid-90s in front of TBS.
1: And continuing forever. (laughs) I wonder what TBS is today. It's not what it was then. But anyway, we're watching A Christmas Story, and our friend Mara Wilson is with us. (laughs) Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Mara, you suggested we watch this movie, and I'm curious about why.
3: Um I think it's probably because you know I grew up Jewish and this was kind of one of my first experiences with Christmas culture it's definitely something, you know, that that you encounter a lot as a kid. Like, we didn't really watch a lot of Christmas movies. Like, I remember my mom watching It's a Wonderful Life when we were young. But other than that, we were kind of indifferent to Christmas. So I think that this was one of the first actual Christmas movies and actual, like, Christmas culture things I saw. And we we watched it a lot. And I think that might just be because it's on a lot. But we did like it, and we would, you know, we would reference, like, some of the jokes in it. Also, I think a lot of it was actually kind of terrifying— there's some scary moments in this movie, and there were definitely things in there that that scared me. Like, the Santa Claus is very scary, especially when he puts his boot down on Ralphie. I also grew up in a state—I I grew up in Southern California. I grew up somewhere where there wasn't a big wintry Christmas every year. So this was kind of, like, a fascinating thing for me. It was It was a glimpse into another world, which I think is funny because I think for everybody else, it's either— a view into like a white midwestern mid-century thing that a lot of people have experienced or like all of the feelings are still universal really wanting something for christmas you know getting stuck in the snow dealing with bullies things like that are are somewhat universal but for me it was just a peek into a different world
0: what is christmas the christmas season in southern california like
3: it's usually kind of rainy I mean, we get a lot of rain in the winter, and people always forget that. And they, and they, every single year, everybody is surprised that it rains in the winter, but it does. And so, it's still colder. I mean, it's not like Southern Hemisphere Christmas where. It's literally summer. Other than that, I mean, it's pretty It's pretty similar, but we don't have the snow and we don't have, you know, the needing to bundle up and all of those things. And snow was something that I always really loved and I treasured. We actually we used to go to up to the mountains pretty much around Christmas time every year with my family. And I I realized recently that we didn't say we're going to the mountains. We always said we're going to the snow because that was the most important thing. And I found a picture of myself recently as maybe like two or three year old and I'm in a full snowsuit and there is less than half an inch of snow on the ground.
1: I was in Las Vegas a couple years ago doing a fellowship with The Believer. And I saw one day on a day when it was like 59 degrees, this lady on the sidewalk wearing just like a full parka with a furry hood. And I was like, I get that. He would probably be more comfortable in just like a nice fleece pullover and like another layer on top of that. But that's not the point. The point is that you are saying it is cold.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely a level of artifice in L.A. that we all just kind of accept and understand. So, you know, I've seen people do, doing fake snow, things like that.
0: Yeah, there's something I love about walking around L.A. in December, though. Yeah. At night and and just seeing uh, houses with Christmas lights on it is so surreal to me for some reason, because seeing it outside of the context of snow, it almost itself feels like a set. Yes.
3: You're like, what is, <laughs> what is Yeah, we have some really amazing houses uh, near us. There are some that are like in tune with Christmas music that plays on the radio. But yeah, I feel like it it didn't really feel like it was Christmas time until we went up into the mountains and actually got to, you know, play in the snow and and be cold.
0: Yes, for sure. Sarah, what was your experience with this movie before today?
1: I remember seeing this in sixth grade because a girl in my class was like, this is my family's Christmas movie and like brought it in to our school. And this is when my family was living in Honolulu, so also a time of warm Christmases. And they would put, they put Christmas lights on the palm trees there, it was great. And there's a lot of Hawaii themed Christmas stuff. For some reason, I think because mid century Americans loved Hawaii almost as much as they loved Christmas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: uh, a Christmas Story is a movie, if you place how old Ralphie is, about a character who is exactly the age of my father again. <laughs> yeah, my dad was an old dad who was born in 1931. Ralphie's nine years old, we believe, based well, actually, there's some weird history stuff here because... In theory, Ralphie should be, if he's nine, based on everything, it should be 1940. School integration didn't happen until 1949 in the setting, and so they fudged that a little bit. Uh. They fudged it so there's more representation, but glosses over the actual history.
1: Yeah. Do you want me to take this to a darker place real quick? I would love that.
0: All right. So, (laughs)
1: Indiana, as you were saying, is a state with a lot of systemic racism in its bones, and so the integration that took place there was very difficult and had to be worked on with immense friction and violence at times. And one of the people who worked very hard to integrate the city of Indianapolis a little while after this movie was set was Jim Jones. Oh, oh wow. Wow. Of course. <laughs> because. <laughs> America in the 1950s, in the mid-century, was so compromised and terrible that, like, Jim Jones was capable of being like, you guys, this is terrible what you're doing here. He did a lot of good things before he did a
3: lot of the worst things ever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Better moral compass on some issues at one time than the average politician from Indiana.
3: I have kind of a grudge against the state of Indiana.
1: (laughs) You've mentioned this on Twitter. I'm intrigued by this. I really love the North Midwest.
3: But Indiana, I have not had good experiences in. It started with a bad show choir competition, And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then I just had this, like, weird confirmation bias kind of thing going on where I was like, God, Indiana just sucks. And, oh, of course the KKK's headquarters is there. And, of course, Mike Pence is from there. And, of course, this this, is from there. And so I fully know. I'm like, okay, this is your own bias speaking.
0: When, When were you in show choir?
3: I went to public school for... For most of my life, and I was in public high school, I did a lot of theater in high school and in college, and I, I've done voiceover since I was a child, but on and off from my 20s and such. But one of like the coolest things to do at my school was be in their show choirs. It was like one of the really intense choirs on Glee. It took over your life, and there were a lot of like really gross boys and a lot of really mean girls, and it was it was a really hard time. Actually, I had a lot of fun like singing and dancing, but it, it was kind of the only thing keeping me going there. And so eventually, my parents were like, "Why don't you go to an art school instead? Because this is the only thing you like to do."
0: And it, no show choir at art school, I assume.
3: Or- they don't have show choir, and they would laugh at me when I mentioned it. They'd be like, "I've memorized the entire works of Sondheim and Ibsen, and you know, you're talking about show choir." <laughs>
1: and something sparkly difficult in a different way
3: it is you know they they made fun of me for it like my, my college boyfriend I remember we were in a diner and he excitedly interrupted me to point out that like the Duran Duran song that was playing was in Lydian mode <laughs> and even he thought that show choir wow. was dorky some of our first <laughs> dates were to acapella <laughs> competitions and yet he he was like <laughs> show choir that's ridiculous uh, my Indiana thing has just kind of it, it's gone on so long now that
1: you know it's just nice to have pet grudges like I refuse used to have a christmas tree in my home exactly just because i think it's sad that they're dead and i don't want to watch something desiccate and i just enjoy railing about that occasionally it's fun for me
0: that's how you feel about jack-o'-lanterns too right <laughs>
1: i don't like wasting food and also i don't like eating bunny-shaped chocolate but i want other people to enjoy it which is why i bought you that huge one that time
0: i ate the whole thing so Mara, do you recognize do you recognize in in this movie anything about your own dad
3: my dad, not really. Both my mother and my stepmother are, like, very, very tough women. Mm. And that's the kind of, of woman that my dad has always gone for, where they're very tough and they're very much like, nope, I'm in control. My dad was a little bit more like the mom here. He kind of is like the one who who makes jokes And, you know, he my dad was tough when he needed to be. And he was a single dad for a couple years there. So, I mean, he was stressed out and he was Mm. much more serious in those years. But my dad was much more laid back. I think that the dad in this is really interesting. First of all, I always get this actor confused with Robert Loggia for some reason. I've
0: only ever seen him again in Igby Goes Down for like three minutes. And that's the only ever time I've seen this guy.
3: I know him because he's the dad in Billy Madison. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Of course. (laughs) Which is another movie that I watch a lot. And he's actually he actually is like for as
1: ridiculous as a movie that movie is he's actually really great in it i remember billy madison having some levels also same house is ready or not my new favorite horror movie really yeah oh wow that that explains a lot actually it would be nice to have a crossover oh man yeah
3: that would be great i have a secret (laughs) theory that billy madison is bi Oh, yeah, he 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 flirts with too many men in that movie talks about having sex with Jack Nicholson and stuff that so I yeah, I that is that is a pet theory that I have. But that's another story. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he he's not a lot like my dad. He He does seem to be sort of this antiquated view of a dad who is both incredibly intimidating and also like kind of lovably oafish Mm. like a smarter version of homer simpson Mm -hmm.
0: he's got an interesting sweetness when they're watching the christmas parade where he's got the little kid on his shoulders he's lit up and like very happy that everyone's happy Mm. i noticed that there were these like interesting punctuations of him not being terrifying
3: yeah i do think that my dad is kind of like that at times also he's the one who gives ralphie what he wants for christmas
0: right Mm-hmm.
3: He is the one who is listening there. My dad has always been kind of a sweet, goofy guy. There was like a parents' night at preschool, at my preschool, and my dad wasn't able to come. Uh, so my mom and I wrote a note, and I remember she was trying to get me to write, handwrite more, so I wrote the words, my dad, and then I was like, this is too hard, and she wrote the rest. But she, we, we took him to school, and we decided that he was going to be there, you know, instead of Father's Night, that he was just going to come during the day. And I remember, like, walking into a room and my dad was in there and all the kids were just crawling all over him and were, like, jumping on his back and probably, like, pulling his hair. And he was just laughing and having, like, a great old time with it. I think my father got, like, a little bit more gruff as he got older, which I think is also a pretty dadly thing to do. But he definitely had that sweetness.
1: It's like ear hair. Just sort of, you get some layers of gruff over time. (laughs) (laughs) We must have had the preschool thing where like you show up and are a parent helper for a day. But I have like a memory of my dad showing up at my preschool, the Linton Community Center, still operational. And just like the absolute astonishment of seeing my dad who lives at my house Inside of my school, <laughs> oh, yeah. already there without me bringing him into it. It was like, what? <laughs>
3: Yeah, like at the time, it was one of the coolest things that had ever happened to me was my dad came to school and everybody loved him.
1: Yeah.
3: One of my favorite things is when we had the open house for my school and the cars would come in and they would all park on the blacktop near the playground. And I was just like, that's such a novelty. There's cars where we play.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My mom used to help facilitate things at our school. And so I'd have to go with her and be there after hours. And just seeing the school function in a different way, I was like, this is this is strange. Why? Why is this happening?
3: So I actually have a story that I wanted to tell you that connects back to a Christmas story in a way. My mom always took me to like her PTA meetings. She was like PTA president for a long time. And I remember liking being there when I was very young because I would steal sugar cubes and eat them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i could also go through my mom's purse yeah it, that was always really
1: fun her, her lipstick had that like heavy 80s smell oh yeah i know exactly what smell you
0: mean
3: yeah but i remember <laughs> there were other kids there too and i have a memory of this child who reminds me a lot of the bully in this movie the, the mm. kid with the yellow eyes
0: scott farkas
3: Yes, yeah, Scott Farkas. He always reminded me of this kid. And I know I must be embellishing this, but my memories are of this child. And people said, oh, yeah, that's the bad baby. And I have memories of him with these, like, slit eyes and these, like, little claws. And he was hissing at me. He was going, bad baby. <laughs>
1: Like he was a Pokemon. <laughs> oh my God. Like he was saying his his nickname. That's like Rosemary's Baby's Terrible yeah. Tooth. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes.
0: One of the things that I love about this movie that I noticed watching this time, it's formulated like a kid's memories or like a kid's experience. Yeah. Right. This movie, it's fuzzy and like sparkling. And like you mentioned that the Santa scene earlier, you see the boot from this child's perspective and it's a giant menacing creature that's kind of attacking him that's the thing that I loved about this movie this time around is seeing seeing that work
3: Yeah, that's one thing I always loved about Beverly Cleary. I loved her books so much growing up. Uh, Sarah, also a Portlander. Yeah, one of our greats. They have statues of her characters, which I saw when I went to Portland for the first time. I specifically sought them out. That's great. That's very important. Yeah, those are like our Balto statues. (laughs) (laughs) Ramona Quimby means a lot to me. But one thing I always loved about her books is that everything was absolute highest stakes. Because she was a child and to a child, everything is absolute highest stakes Yeah. Mm. and everything is important to them. So that's something that I think that you don't always see in a lot of media depicting children is that you don't see the stakes there.
0: Yeah. And it's very serious. Yes, It is serious business. This kid needs this BB gun. Like he needs this BB gun and it, it's incredible.
1: I love the depiction of him trying to incept his parents <laughs> into getting it for him mm-hmm. because that is exactly how I want to I would never directly ask for something that I truly in my heart wanted. Yeah. Because if then the person you ask breathes the wrong way about it, then you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> So you have to, like, use all of your wit and wiles to, like, make them think that it was their idea to give you the thing that you want. And it's just, yeah, it's it's. It's very complex. It's like Mission Impossible level.
3: I, I like that he's like he's like my friend is getting one, but but it's okay. I don't really need one. Right, because right. that's totally <laughs> something I would have done.
1: I'm just gonna neg you, mom.
0: <laughs> right. Oh my god, all those tactics are so good. Sneaking the advertisement in her magazine readings so that he comes he comes across it. I, my grandfather was had passed before I was born, so I never got to meet my dad's father. I think this movie was incredibly important for my dad because, and, and I think that that's why I brought up Christmas Vacation. Like, I think a lot of people like Christmas Vacation because their dads watched Christmas Vacation and that's kind of how they know about it. And for me, like this movie was essential for my dad because this is how my dad stayed connected to his dad and I think that without ever saying so this is how he wanted me to know who my grandfather was mm-hmm. my dad eventually became the old man in this movie he was a lot more gruff and rigid than this guy who seems kind of checked out but I certainly recognize a lot about this character and this is like literally the only way I know my grandfather is I assume that it was a lot like this character because of how my dad mm. responded to this to this movie and you you know just swore like a sailor was a bit of a storm was a presence for sure
1: but wore a nice vest and a nice shirt while swearing <laughs> yes yes absolutely
0: yeah. <laughs> absolutely very similar men i feel like that kind of man in the you know late 30s early 40s was just around like it was like a stock character
3: I never met my father's father. He died shortly before I was born. But, uh, yeah, the, the stories that I've heard about him kind of seem the same way. He was he was a very gruff, like, ex-Navy guy, you know, ex-Navy, ex-Air Force kind of guy. And, you know, he could be very strict and rigid, but also definitely had a soft side. I'm sure that my dad likes this movie. But also, I feel like another thing is that it's very quotable. At some point, we're going to have to address that there are definitely parts of this movie that really did not age well.
0: Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure there are. <laughs>
3: The restaurant scene near the end did not age well. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. And Schwartz getting beaten up by his mom didn't age well either. But but there's so mm-hmm. many lines in it, you know, like that we used to quote, you know, like, Fragili, it must be Italian.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I've seen this movie like two other times. And I think that whenever I open a package, basically.
3: No, there's there's so many parts of it that I think are very, are very classic. Um, I do want to talk about Randy.
0: Oh, please. Mm-hmm.
3: I love Randy. I think Randy... Watching this again, Randy, I think, was my favorite character.
0: Yeah. He's such a beautiful little kid, too.
3: Yeah. Just angelic face. And Ralphie... Ralphie is annoyed with him, but he's not mean to him.
0: No, that's a great point.
1: Right. I get very stressed in movies where siblings are excessively mean to each other. I think Same. partly because I'm an only child, and so I don't know what play fighting looks like. <laughs> it's right. like when people adopt kittens, and they're like, they're killing each other! And it's like, at just. <laughs> <laughs> they do that. <laughs> I mean, I always felt like that going to my
3: friends' houses. Like, I had three big brothers, and then I had a baby sister. And I knew that, like, I adored my baby sister and would do anything for her. And I knew that while my brothers and I fought, that they were good guys who loved me. But I would go over to friends' houses, and their brothers would just be so cruel and scary. And I had no idea what they were doing. Right. And how to predict, like, the things that they would do. So I was always afraid of other people's brothers. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I feel the same way. I was always terrified going over to someone else's house when like a, a, a like a three year three year difference older sibling would show up. Yeah. There was only one that I knew I could get along with because we knew each other from like church the whole time, but like Everyone else, it's like, when they entered the scene, it felt like menace was there. Like, I didn't want to be a part of it. They were going to get me in trouble somehow. Mm. They were going to hurt me.
1: It's like you're a, a card shark, you know, playing pinochle with the guys, and suddenly, like, Jimmy Conway <laughs> rolls in yeah. and everyone, like, ripples
0: out around him. Precisely. <laughs> so, is that something you related to by way of Randy? Is that something that that was... Is that why why you noticed that, I guess?
3: (laughs) I think so. I mean, I'm a big sister and I'm a little sister. And the way that people treat their siblings is important to me. I mean, I, I talk to my siblings every single day. You know, at at least one of them. And I have four, so there's a lot. They're my built-in best friends. One scene that really resonated with me is Randy hiding under the sink and crying because he thinks that... He he says, Daddy's gonna kill Ralphie!
1: (laughs) I love that scene.
3: And he's so sweet, and I just think that's such a nice moment. He loves his brother, and he's afraid his brother's gonna get
1: in trouble. I really love that scene also because I feel like that's momsmanship. Parenting seems to me like it often... Needs to involve just like letting your kids sit in a cupboard if that's where they're comfortable right now and then offering yeah. them milk. <laughs> 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 you know, she like gives them some milk and she's like, okay, see you later and like closes the cupboard. I really appreciate that. And also, this is my obligatory connect everything to Magnolia moment to mention that Melinda Dillon, who plays the mom in this, is also Jimmy Gator's wife in Magnolia. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think you can see the through line. When you know that, you're like, right, these are both moms who, like, have been sort of the family peacemaker for a long time. One in a very wholesome setting and one not.
0: (laughs) The other moment between Randy and mom that had different meaning for me this time is when the mom is encouraging randy to eat she does the pig thing and randy eats like a pig and the father's approach is he's like like let me get my pliers and something like plumber's tool and i'll, I'll open up his mouth and he, he'll have to eat or whatever and he's like he, you know, he's like intimidating and like you could kind of imagine maybe that's a thing that he would do but then also the dad is just disgusted by watching <laughs> the little kid be a little kid and i know that dynamic so well for some reason i went to like a hebrew preschool really we're not Jewish.
3: Where did you grow up?
0: In Malden, Massachusetts at this time. Not in Maine.
3: Okay, so Massachusetts. <laughs> I know there were socialist Jewish preschools in the 30s and 40s. <laughs>
1: I didn't know that there were any in, you know. A wonderful land called Malden.
0: <laughs> I think it was, like, just, like, heavily subsidized for, like, anyone who could go. Right, okay. But anyway, long story short, there was some day where, like, everyone could, could come as their favorite, like, historical figure, and I I came as Deborah and I don't know why at three years old I did that. From the Bible? From the Bible.
1: What did Deborah do in the Bible? Something violent right? Yeah I don't remember her. Yeah
0: she was like an infamous like rebel rebel gal from the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> anyway I, so I wore my mom's bangles and like jewelry and I came like as a woman to school and I just remember like my mom just being 100% encouraging of this thing happening yeah. being like, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. That's great. I can't believe Dabour it.
1: bore is great. Everyone agrees on that. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> My dad had this same look as the father with the newspaper at this table. Just like, "Ugh, I can't. And it wasn't like disgust. It was just like, I can't fucking believe this is where we're at. <laughs> I recognize that.
3: I think about a Christmas story that I realized is the teacher in it looks very much like an old fashioned teacher But a lot of the teachers at my elementary school had like probably been teaching as long as that woman had. Mm -hmm. She looks a lot like a lot of the old teachers at my school.
0: She looks like half the elementary school teachers that I had where it looks like they were almost made of something different. Yes. They were like made of a different fabric. I don't know. <laughs> just like sturdy.
3: Exactly. The clothes they wore and they all like, they all had that hair that was like the same shade of brown. Mm-hmm. These very like mid-centuries, sturdy white ladies.
0: They worked in the factory when all the men went away and then they got into teaching and they were just there forever. It's, yeah, I, I know these teachers. Yes. I think
3: the actress that plays the teacher, I mean, she does a lot. She she plays you know multiple different characters in Ralphie's imagination, so that was probably a fun part to play because she got to be an evil witch and she got to be this you know romantic who is amazed by Ralphie's essay. Mm-hmm. She's like
0: Meryl Streep in uh, Angels in America. Yes, uh, <laughs> she plays half the characters
1: exactly. I feel like it would be fun to play a character in a child's fantasy. It feels like drunk history, actually. You know, just to play something as broad as where he's just like plus. plus, she's giving him a plus, 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 pluses. We've been talking as a theme, I guess, lately about unsubtlety as a a thing Mm -hmm. I think I appreciate. And just having adults behave according to the imagination of children feels very Christmassy, too, in that sense of Christmas as a time of power role reversals. Some people have said that this movie
3: is very sad because he says that this is one of the best Christmases that he, that he ever had, and it's a horrible Christmas.
0: Oh, is, is it? it? <laughs> What did you read on that?
3: He breaks his glasses. They don't get to have their
1: Christmas lunch. They have goose or duck or whatever they have.
0: So we said we have to address the things that didn't age well. There's the fees in the restaurant, and somehow the dad was the coolest in that whole situation because, like, there are these uh, uh, Chinese restaurant workers who end up singing Deck the Halls. It's terrible humor around accents, and the mom's losing it, not helping with the kids whatsoever who are also losing it. The punchline is in sort of, like, how exotic the scene is, and it's out of their comfort level. I'd never noticed this before. Is like the dad's doing not just everything he can to try to like keep them together. He's just really trying to let the guy who runs the restaurant know that they appreciate the situation. He's like, it looks so fine. It looks so good. Mm-hmm. I was actually surprised that he's the coolest one of all of them who is decidedly not a cool guy.
1: Yeah. He saves it for when he really, really needs to be cool. Cause like the scene made me think about how I feel like a lot of Christmas media is about families' expectations not being met and then how do you react to it which, you know, is like the Grinch story too it's like, how do the Who's down in Whoville respond? Are they worthy of Christmas cheer? Mm. This is like the family proving their mettle by being able to accept this loss and roll with it
3: I call it the Christmas isn't about principle (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because in every sitcom and in a lot of movies, there's always a line where it's like, Pete, Christmas isn't about this. Christmas isn't about stuff. Christmas is about family. Christmas is about being together. Christmas isn't about snow. It's not about (laughs) this. There's, you know, and, and what Christmas is is kind of left up to whoever's interpretation.
0: Sarah, that answers a question that you asked earlier when we were talking about Christmas Vacation, which is like, what movie exists that's like literally just like about Christmas? Our modern Christmas meaning is saying all the things that Christmas isn't about and then interpreting it based on what our experience is.
1: I wish I were still in grad school. My (laughs) God. Like, I could write such a fun paper about, you know, how Christmas is defined dialectically by, like, we don't know what Christmas is. Yeah, but we keep saying what it isn't.
3: Yeah, it's an ontological kind of thing. (laughs) I mean, in some ways, there's kind of an anti-consumerist message. But, I mean, Rafi still gets what he wants. He does immediately get hurt using it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. it has no moral. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It's just what happened.
3: It's a story.
0: Totally. It's not like, and then we learned to use caution When we get dangerous toys, it's not about that at all. It's just like, this is shit that happened to Gene Shepard back in the 30s. And here we are to watch watch it.
1: And like, sometimes you get what you want and immediately a big mishap occurs, but you're still happy that you got it. And there's definitely something very American about the fact that he wants a gun. Yeah. And that's like another aging, interestingly, thing here is that like this movie is about, you know, really like the arc of the movie and how people describe it is that it's about a boy's quest to get his first firearm <laughs> and it's a lot of other stuff and it's this lovely episodic storytelling that i think also is very christmasy because there's something about a christmas movie that functions well if people are like wandering in and out of the room right <laughs> while watching it and this definitely does that but yeah it's also about how he wants to get a gun and how everyone's like that's kind of a bad idea and as you know an american now i'm like well Yeah, but Christmas isn't about me telling this fictional child what to want. (laughs) If
2: you
3: look at most toy guns nowadays, they don't look like guns
0: do they look like
3: they're bright colors they look like toys
0: they look like a bunch of lawsuits that happened on the gun manufacturers and after kids got shot for having things that looked like guns
3: yeah there's very specific industrial design going on there like i, I think i went to like a nerf event a couple years ago yeah. and i saw like yeah it was super cool I and i looked everything and i said there's not one thing here that looks like a gun hmm. they they looked you know they looked like tubes they looked like all kinds of different things They were squirt guns there were squirt guns that didn't look like guns and and they were were all really fun to play with, and they were all engineered amazingly well, but nobody was going to get shot for holding one.
0: Right. You That's
3: know? Really cool. So there's a lot of, of you know, or, or hopefully nobody would. I mean... That's a lot to ask from America sometimes. Yeah,
1: but if if they do, then the gun is not the problem.
3: Yeah, the the blind scene I think where Ralphie goes blind because of the soap poisoning. I mean, the, the blind part did not age well. There are there are people who are visually impaired, and you know their their lives are just fine. Obviously, it was harder for people in the 1940s, but that I think is very typical of of a revenge fantasy kind of thing. And I had so many of those as a kid. My mom will be so sorry that she yelled at me when something terrible happens to me. Yeah,
0: I, I recognize a lot. In that. And actually, when we talked about seeing this on Twitter, many people referred to that scene as something that resonated with them.
3: Oh, yeah. Everybody does that. You'll be sorry when I do this, and you'll be sorry when this happens to me. And, oh, yeah. you know.
0: I, I took that scene literally for a long time, and I thought that in the 40s, if you had sucked on soap for a long enough time, you could go blind. Like, I didn't understand that it was like a fantasy <laughs> until recently. Mara, you, so you mentioned earlier that you were, in a miracle on 34th Street. It sounds like like you didn't grow up with like Christmas being a thing. What was it like being in Christmas pop culture?
3: I mean, I felt kind of like I was on the outside, but when I auditioned for it, like my mom actually told me she was like, it's about a little girl who doesn't believe in Santa Claus. And I said, Oh, is she Jewish like us? <laughs> <laughs> But my mom, when I when I went on the auditions, my mom, uh, I think my mom told told me to tell them that I believed in the tooth fairy because I did. I was very staunch believer in the tooth fairy. And that was kind of what I would
1: offer as like
3: people would be like, do you believe in Santa? And I'd be like, no, but I do believe in tooth fairy.
1: (laughs) I think it's much more reasonable to believe in the tooth fairy from a logical perspective because she works every night of the year and doesn't have to do everything last minute. She works hard for the money. She's a working girl.
0: She's also not rooted in an ideology. She's practical. Yeah.
1: If you have teeth, she's for you. (laughs) (laughs) We
3: believed that there were multiple tooth fairies and we all got to give ours human names. Uh, Mine was Sally and I named her after Sally Field, who I just worked with and was lovely. (laughs) That's delightful. Did you picture her looking like Sally Field? I I don't think I ever really imagined what she looked like. I also just I forgot to mention this earlier. Um, the eating eating Chinese food on 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 Christmas is actually a very Jewish thing to do. So how can you be unhappy about it? <laughs> it's it's what you do. It's what you do. It's what's open.
0: Okay, we're l- l- tying things together. What is a Christmas story about? If you were describing it to someone on the street
1: and someone who hasn't seen it, someone who's not like, oh, yeah, people talk about that movie, right. but someone who's like, I am from Denmark. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> A Christmas story is about what Americans like to think of when they think of Christmas. I mean, to compare it to A Miracle on 34th Street, like this also opens with them going to see the department store window displays, which my mom, who was a child in Des Moines in the 50s, also remembers extremely fondly. It's about a child's Christmas in the long mid-century America, which I think is the thing that Now, when we talk about what Christmas is or isn't or what we're trying to bring back or we invent this imaginary war on Christmas and talk about, like, what Christmas past is to us as Americans, like, this is that Christmas past, basically. And, like, the movie is you bathing in that.
0: Yeah. Mara, how would you describe it?
3: It's a movie that captures the feeling of of what it is to be a child who wants something and is looking forward to something through the lens of uh, a white Midwestern mid 20th century kind of thing. But I would say that for some it's a nostalgia piece, but also for some it's sort of a a movie about something that doesn't really exist anymore. It's a movie about childhood and memory.
0: Mm. That's great. Yeah. This, and again, drawing it back to us talking about, Christmas vacation where we said so many similar things where it's like, this is about a Christmas time that doesn't exist in America anymore for specific reasons. Like this is about a kind of America that doesn't exist anymore. And this is about the America before that.
1: I feel like Christmas is also always defined by nostalgia because whatever, like Christmas is a tradition. It is a ritual. I think sovereign said the word ritual when we were recording with her and it really is. As I get older I realize more and more that like we do need to do like I don't think that you need to do any particular things each year of your life. But I do think that it's nice to do the same thing in some capacity throughout the year, like something that you do annually, because you will notice that another year has passed and you are doing the thing that you were doing this time last year. And you will, you know, and part of that is about seeing people and reconnecting with your family when it's safe and part of it is about noticing that time has passed and relating to the seasons of your life I think that's part of it too and I feel like Christmas is something that encourages us to be as deeply nostalgic as we crave to be all the time maybe and we often define like what is a good Christmas by like have we done it before is it familiar because like familiarity equals Christmas.
3: You know, it's funny because I was thinking last night, I was like, was there ever a toy that I wanted as much as Ralphie did? And I thought, yes, when I was eight, I really wanted this computer game called Treasure Cove. I I wanted it so badly. And I think the reason why is because I had I had just come off of filming Matilda, which was one of the most fun movies I'd ever made. And it was filming that could feel like summer camp. Like it was hard work, but there was definitely a kind of a summer camp feel to it. And when I wrapped on that, I kind of had to go back to my normal life. And I had a teacher that I hated at school who was really mean to me. She was a lot like the teacher in this movie, but meaner and worse. And also my mother was terminally ill with cancer. All I wanted was Treasure Cove because we used to play it on the set of Matilda. When I did get it for Hanukkah, I remember playing it and I started to cry when I played it and I didn't know why. And I think it was because I maybe on some level, I kind of I kind of knew that what it symbolized. And I would always feel like like sort of a season a seasonal cheer around Hanukkah around around winter time. It did feel like a special time for me even though I didn't celebrate Christmas. It's funny. It is. I think there's a built-in nostalgia there. And even if you were a child, you can be nostalgic for something. Sometimes children are the most nostalgic.
1: Oh yeah. I think people really underrate the nostalgia of children. And speaking of how high stakes all of this feels, I think you know one of the big reasons for that is that you're just like I'm nothing has ever happened to me before I'm a kid the adult capacity to recognize that in a way that renders that drama in a way that's so accurate that people love this movie as much as they do because also this I think wasn't successful at all when it first came out.
0: No, it was it was out of the theaters by Christmas. It came out on Thanksgiving.
1: So, yeah, I mean, that's, wow. That's like as much as a Christmas movie can fail, basically. I think the fact that it recognizes, like, the inner life of a child is what makes people feel seen by it and what has made them champion it the way that they have.
3: And the child actors in it are great.
1: Yeah.
0: They're so good. It's a shrine to that child nostalgia, which I think you, you said so beautifully, Mara, is that uh, I do think that children themselves can be the most nostalgic when you're eight half of your life ago was four and so you can be nostalgic about a thing that you can like reach out and touch and so i think that that's we see that in this movie and it's so it's so sort of beautifully portrayed
3: i've i've talked to children who are now nostalgic about the beginning of the pandemic <laughs> when they weren't so sick of staying inside yeah when they didn't yet know all the secrets of animal crossing <laughs> <laughs>
0: So we normally ask a a wrap-up question, and this movie feels like the least appropriate one for it. We know who the father is, who is the daddy. It's that leg lamp. Yeah. What is it called? Something sex, like illuminated sex. Electric sex. Electric
2: sex. Electric
3: sex. That was a phrase that stuck in my mind when I saw this as a preteen. Yes. I
0: love that. I love it. There's no one who could qualify for this role, I'm pretty sure the teacher maybe
1: is there another significant adult man in this movie not really I mean like no. there's the neighbor who admires the
3: leg
0: yes Santa
3: there's terrifying Santa Santa
0: and in that I, I forgot there's terrifying Santa and then there's the elves who all remind me of of Sidarius's Santaland diaries there's like just like the wretched elves yes yeah.
3: they all speak with like Brooklyn accents even though it's Indiana <laughs>
1: They're a (laughs) traveling Santa troop making their way around the Midwest.
3: There's, uh, what's his name? There's Red Rider.
1: Oh,
0: yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This could just be the first movie we ever do that doesn't have an alter daddy. Wow.
1: Just a single daddy. Well, he comes through in the end,
0: so.
3: Ralphie kind of pictures himself as, as, like, the protector of the family. So it could be, it could be Ralphie's alter ego. I love, I love (laughs) the scene when
0: he's waiting for Santa and he looks, I mean, Peter Billingsley in this movie is like, again, not eight or nine and there's the part where he's like waiting for he's standing in line and he looks so stoic he's like looking off into the distance he looks like a tiny little man and he doesn't want that he doesn't (laughs) want that kid to talk to him because he's trying to concentrate
1: Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I love that we talk about the ages of men on this show and we just talked about in Moonstruck when John Mahoney leans in and kisses Olympia Dukakis he looks like a little boy. He's
3: like
1: 50 years old and he looks like a little boy. He looks like Peter Billingsley in this scene. Yeah, he looks younger than Peter Billingsley cuz Peter <laughs> Billingsley looks like a little serious man. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been a delight and we're we're greatly appreciative of you being here. Thank you.
3: No, thank you so much. I'm such a big fan of the show, and th- this stuff has been getting me through the pandemic. So, thank you for that, Sarah. And thank you so much, Alex.
1: I've been a fan of your work since Christmas of 1996 <laughs> when I got a VHS of Matilda. <laughs> so, got <Yeah>. be. <laughs>
2: Next year.
0: Alright, everybody thank you so much for listening to Wiredads, dads and thank you to mara wilson for being our guest on today's show uh what an absolute delight it was to have mara on board with us talking about this movie that has been in existence since 1983 when i was born thank you to carolyn kendrick for producing this episode and uh making all of our episodes sound good just all around They sound fantastic thanks to Carolyn's work, and thank you to Carolyn who is also our music director and performed Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which was originally sung, I don't know if you know this, by Judy Garland in the 1944 musical Meet Me in St. Louis. Or Meet Me in St. Louis, if uh, this were a punchline from a Warner Brothers cartoon in the 1940s. This song was originally composed by Hugh Martin, and uh, the lyrics are by Ralph Blaine, and it is, you know, just absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful song and uh it's the season for it let's see what should you know now oh next week we will be talking about home alone with anterio it was (laughs) such a fun conversation i watched night of the hunter the other day i think i talked about this in the intro maybe not but i watched night of the hunter the other day and uh home alone is like an updated version of night of the hunter we talk about all that and more and uh and how much we love john candy for the rest of December, if you're interested in following along with us, we watch Batman Returns, is what we will talk about on Christmas week and then the following week we will talk about moonstruck follow us on social media instagram and twitter if those are things that you'd like to do we would love to have you our liz Climo shirts the collaboration shirts that we did with liz that say you are good those are available if you just look at our links on social thank you so much for joining us this is why our dads we look forward to talking with you soon